0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: One of the keys to success in any sport, with any league, with any team, is making sure that there's a shared vision. Is everybody in the organization on the same page from top to bottom? Do they all see the puzzle the same way? We talk about it all the time when organizations aren't successful. Now, maybe this year, one of the biggest brands in all of the NFL is giving us a very clear indication that their owner has no idea what's real for what should be expected for his football team, and it could send the entire thing off the rails. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and obviously we got a lot to get into. WNBA tipping off at ESPN two eight o'clock Eastern. You do not want to miss that. And also tennis action right now. Serena Williams uh, facing the number two seed. That's on ESPN. This could could this be the last singles match? We'll keep you updated all show long on how she's doing. Uh, she'll be also playing doubles with her sister Venus at the u.s open so we're still going to have the opportunity to see her but we will keep you updated on all of the action a lot going on tonight in the world of sports and we'll make sure that as games and action are happening you are updated but one of the biggest stories right now as we get close to the nfl season is jerry jones now don't roll your eyes don't laugh i know it's the cowboys and i know we talk about the cowboys too much in fact i agree with you i think we could afford to branch out a little bit i also think that it's fair when the owner of one of the biggest brands, one of the most iconic franchises in all of sports, says something, and it's a true indication that the team is doomed. And that's what's happened. We're going to talk about the NFC East a little bit tonight because I think Vegas has got it wrong. Right now, Vegas has the odds on uh, going towards uh, the Cowboys. They, they think the Cowboys are going to win the NFC East. I do not. I squarely believe that Vegas is wrong and that the Eagles are going to win this division. And part of the problem that the Cowboys are going to have are the expectations. Everybody knows somebody. You've got a friend in your life, right, that you go to a bar with. And, the guy, like, the nicest dude, the nicest girl, like the nicest friend in the world, great personality, fairly cute, right? And, and you walk into the bar and you think, man, I really want you to meet your soulmate tonight. This is going to happen. You are going to meet your soulmate. You sit down, you order a drink, and all of a sudden your buddy sitting at the bar Points over at the supermodel on the other side and is like, I just met her. Well, maybe you need to temper your expectations a little bit. Maybe just like so you're seven, settle for a seven, right? You're you're seven, you're six, settle for a six. It's okay. But sometimes you've got that friend that's forever single and angry about it because every time they walk into a room, they're convinced that Cindy Crawford should be taking them. Giselle should leave Brady for them. That's right now, Jerry Jones. He is walking in thinking he's got the Bills roster and he doesn't. I'm sorry. He's thinking he's got a top five AFC roster and he doesn't. The Dallas Cowboys are a good football team with, I think, a very good quarterback. Some good weapons to throw to. Sure, they've got a lot going for them. But you also have to be reasonable in the expectations of what all of that means. Jerry isn't because on 105.3 The Fan, he had plenty to say about what he expects from this team, not just for the regular season, but what he thinks the playoffs are going to look like.
0: I like that, uh, continually reminding that uh, we need to not only get in the playoffs, but we need to get way deep into the playoffs so we got a chance. Uh, I think this team is reflecting that. I think it is a narrative of the team. I think it reflected in our decision-making in the spring, who we kept, who we let go, and who we brought on. So that is the narrative. Get in a better spot to stay longer in the playoff.
1: There is no feeling more hopeless for any fan than realizing that the person running your organization no longer has a clue as to how your organization needs to be run. There's no more hopeless feeling than knowing that at the end of the day, it's not about your quarterback. It's not about your coach. It's not about your GM. It's about the person that's hiring all of them. And I've been saying for about three years that Jerry Jones is giving you constant indications that the guys writing the checks, the Jones family, have no idea what's really going on. You want to tell me that you think, Jerry Jones, a deep playoff run. Like, if we were playing Madden, just with the raw. – I'm not even accounting. The coach that is, according to most people that know more football than I'll ever know, a liability at best, right? You got a coach that's somewhere between a babysitter and a liability that's coming in on a roster that if we were playing Madden, are you picking that roster above the Rams? I'm not. Hell, you picking that roster above the 49ers, even when I don't know what the quarterback situation looks like? I don't think so. In fact, if you're taking that roster, and I'm not talking just about the quarterback, I understand the massive question mark sitting behind Jalen Hurts. I have a hard time finding any path where on paper, right now, the Eagles are better or are worse than the Cowboys. Philadelphia is a better football team. And not only that, but Philadelphia had a better offseason. <laughs> Billy, uh, uh, the Eagles fan chiming in on it. Think about A.J. Brown and the difference maker that A.J. Brown is. Think about the production that you've seen from A.J. Brown in a Titans offense that may or may not have ever really given a damn about utilizing the greatness of A.J. Brown. And that's not the only weapon that you've given Jalen Hurts. And on the other side of that, you went out and you made your defense substantially better. Not just better, substantially better. And all you have to do is worry about a Cowboys team that made themselves worse by letting Amari Cooper walk, right? And has no idea what the hell they're doing with an offensive line. The dumbest thing, all of us, and myself included, as a Raiders fan, the dumbest thing we are all doing is deciding that because the Bengals went to a Super Bowl without any offensive line, that's now the model for success in the NFL. It isn't. The Cowboys have no idea what their offensive line situation is going to look like. The NFC East is going to be a better division in my mind than it was last year. But at some point, you've got to look around the landscape and understand who you are, understand what you look like, and understand how to be competitive. And if you want any indication that Jerry Jones doesn't fully understand, again, doubling down on how the Cowboys will be successful, and it has nothing to do with that good quarterback I just mentioned.
0: We uh, hope to be able to run that football more than we ran it, uh, let's say, in the last few years. And uh, Zeke will be critical to that. Uh, But we'll also need to be able to run block. We should be able to run block. Run block is uh, uh, more of a given than being able to protect if you're dealing with inexperienced linemen.
1: I don't disagree with any of that. But the presumption that those inexperienced linemen are just going to be able to come in and suddenly impact the game at that level when every single defensive coordinator you're taking on knows that you can't pass protect, knows that all they have to do is get after the quarterback or shut down Zeke? Yet again, yet again, Jerry Jones is doubling down on an old style of football that he thinks is going to make the Cowboys a Super Bowl contender. And the problem is, sometimes your team is good, not great. And as much as we all want to take the leap every single year that that results in a Super Bowl, the Cowboys are not at that level. The Cowboys might be a playoff team in a weakened NFC. But the expectation that that weakened NFC is going to leave a path open that gets them on a deep playoff run, to me, speaks to one thing. Jerry Jones no longer actually understands what his football team is capable of, who he has in the building, or the liabilities that he's imparted responsible for putting in position of power. I don't have a single reason to believe at this point that the Cowboys are bound for anything other than what the Cowboys have proven. They are time and time again, a mediocre football team with a mediocre coach. That's going to have mediocre results. And at the end of the day, if Jerry Jones really expects Super Bowls, that's all the more reason that there will be panic, panic in Dallas by mid season. You can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. Don't have to panic here. All you have to do is call us. 888 say ESPN 888 729 3776 The phone lines are open. You want to chime in, Cowboys fans? You think I got it wrong? You can tell me. ESPN Nation presented by Dr. Pepper. ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper. The one fans deserve. Speaking of college football season, there is a college football tie. That speaks directly to some of the drastic transitions, transactions we've seen in the NFL. People are getting cut left and right. What's it say about college football and the NFL? I'll answer that next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz, flying solo. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. One man's trash is another man's treasure. And we've often heard that. Now, I want to be very careful because I, I've got to be clear. No player that is trying to play in the NFL that got cut yesterday is anybody's trash. Hell, they made it all the way to the NFL, and that deserves so much respect. But the way we've seen organizations give up on draft picks might be sending a real message on the way the NFL has changed. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, SiriusXM XM, Channel 80. Uh, Serena Williams, keeping you updated, is going to be facing the number 2 seed in the U.S. Open. The match just underway now, so we'll keep you updated all show long on how she's doing and how it looks. It's always special when you get the opportunity to watch her Uh, do her thing, especially knowing that we're coming to what should be near the end of his careers or her career. So we'll see, uh, we'll keep you updated on how it looks. In the meantime, there was some NFL news that maybe didn't resonate for a lot of you, uh, but do resonate to big fans. Uh, I wasn't stunned. I wasn't on air yesterday, but I wasn't stunned that Alex Leatherwood was uh, was cut by the Raiders. He was in fact claimed off of waivers by the Bears today. Uh, But there were some surprising moves very similar to that. As the Eagles today trade former first-round NFL draft pick Jalen Rager to the Miami Dolph, or to the Minnesota Vikings, sorry, um, they've traded to the the Vikings according to multiple reports, a seventh-round pick and a possible conditional fourth-round pick. So we'll see what that means. And the 49ers waived running back Trey Sermon, who you rem- may remember from his time at Ohio State. What we're seeing right now are organizations give up on draft picks faster than ever. And it reminds me of a story I know I've told before, but uh, there was an interview with Bono, lead singer of U2, years ago. And Bono was talking about the fact that it took U2, a Hall of Fame-level band uh, that had influence to its entire generation, not my favorite band, but a lot of people's, took U2 three records to figure out what their sound was, according to Bono. And as he was talking, what he was talking about was the fact that in the music industry now, you don't even get three singles. If your first single is bad and your second single doesn't take off, you don't stand a chance. A lot of people don't even realize that, you know, Appetite for Destruction from Guns N' Roses was a massive, massive record. One of the biggest selling records of all time at the time. The first single on that record barely charted. And the record was just teetering for almost a year, like number 180 or something on the charts. And then Sweet Child of Mine came out and everything changed. It takes patience sometimes to find greatness. But patience is completely gone in the NFL. Now, I don't know if Alex Leatherwood is going to be able to play somewhere. My hope is that Alex Leatherwood can go to the Bears, and by going to the Bears, he can have the opportunity with the Bears to not have to play a lot, work on technique, get his confidence back, and go back and play. My hope is that Jalen Rager can go to a Vikings offense that's stacked and find a, a role for himself. My hope is that Trey Sermon can find an opportunity to go be the best running back he can possibly be. But you can't through any of that deny that NFL teams now give up on everybody quickly some of it regime change certainly uh, you can look at different regimes that are new and say okay they're not uh, last regimes picks are not their problem but moreover than that you have to wonder how are players getting developed I don't think we talk enough about in the NFL. like The the collective bargaining agreement limits the number of padded practices after day one of the season to 14 for the entire year. If you did not know that, there are only 14 practices for the entire NFL season that you're allowed to wear uh, pads for. You can't wear pads for two consecutive practices. Think about the difference in player development now versus 15 years ago. Now, health and safety is a big part of Why? Right. Uh, They're trying to find different ways to make sure that they develop their players. But let's be real. At some point, if you've got a favorite football team that can't tackle, how do they ever figure out how to tackle? When are they getting better at that skill? If you've got a wide receiver that comes from a spread offense in college football that looks nothing like an NFL offense and now has to come in, learn all new terminology, can't look to the sideline to figure out what his audibles are because his quarterback provides those. In an actual real offense, it's far different than anything they saw at Oklahoma or anywhere else. How's that kid supposed to figure it out? Where do the reps come from? Where's the patience come from? It doesn't exist. And if you don't have that, now do you need to spin the conversation to college football? Because, frankly, there are hours limitations at that level, too. And now you've got transfers constantly where everybody's going from one school to another. And all of a sudden, you don't necessarily have continuity in any program. How are football players getting great? Sure, some, some people are just born that way. I'll go back to the music analogy when we would take breaks during tours like uh, everybody's different. You you tour all year and then most of the time you get like a month off before you start the in country anyway, before you start your rehearsals for the next year's tour. Uh, I was somebody that always needed to take uh, at least a couple of weeks and not play just to rest my body, essentially my hands like arthritis and stuff like that. You don't think about Had to rest my hands. Our drummer was the type that, you know, I love you, Boone, but our, our drummer was the type that if he didn't play every day, my God, you could tell when he came back, right? Like, so he had to get those reps every single day to make sure he stayed in rhythm. That's the way you got better. Everybody's different on that, and I understand it, but at some point, if you're looking around the league and we're looking around it at the number of players that are just being thrown out to the trash, And then you look down to college football and you say with the transfer portal and everybody trying to compete for the spots that they have and everybody feeling like they should have the opportunity to start here or there. Like, how are great football players cultivated anymore? How are decent football players turned into great football players? How do guys grow? How do guys explode? How does everybody get better? Because what's obvious is that the NFL is no longer going to give you the time to do that. We thought it was anomaly, an anomaly, easy for me to say, when it came to uh, quarterbacks. You know, we, we thought, okay, this is not the usual. Like, Josh Rosen's not going to be the case for everybody. That was just a draft pick. But now look at this. In the span of 48 hours, we've seen the very people that many of you have gone to Twitter to praise as the new addition to your team suddenly thrown out for nothing. Trayvon Mullins, another Raider, drafted in the second round, never really been healthy, traded to the Cardinals for a conditional seventh-round pick that could turn into a sixth-round pick. So you got rid of a corner for essentially nothing this year? That's the new NFL. Everybody's more replaceable than ever, and everybody's more replaceable than ever. Then at the lower level, you better be doing better coaching. I just don't know where that exists. I'm not sitting here... Sounding alarms, by the way. I'm not sitting here telling you that all is lost for everybody that loves football and that the future of the game is doomed. But the future of the game is certainly changing. And at some point, one of two things is going to have to happen. Either the NFL is going to have to look at college football and adopt as many of those principles as possible so that they can have a higher success rate in the draft. Or the NFL is going to have to look at college football and beg and plead more coaches to implement NFL-style offenses so they can be better at player evaluation. I am oftentimes stunned at how many professionals just can't figure out what kids can play and what kids can't. But more importantly than that, I'm equally stunned by how often we look at players that fail and we immediately assume it's because the player sucks. What if, what if a really good football player was put in a situation where they never had the actual opportunity to become successful? What if we give up on somebody so fast that we never find out if they have real ability? And what if the coaching, college football and the NFL, is just bad enough that good players don't stand a chance in this league? I think that's an unfortunate reality and something that the NFL is going to have to fix. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Obviously, we're going to keep you caught up on Serena. She is just underway. But also, the WNBA playoffs are in full effect. It is full swing. It was an epic night Sunday. They are back in action tonight. We'll catch you up on it with an expert. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz, flying solo.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: It's a stacked night across the sports landscape, and we're keeping you updated on all of it. Serena Williams... Currently with the Net Conteve, as I think you just heard on SportsCenter, uh, they are 2-2 in the first set on that. We will keep you updated on Serena in action. Remember, Serena and Venus will be together in doubles at the U.S. Open. So uh, we'll keep you updated, though, on Serena throughout the course of the night. You don't have to go anywhere. I'll make sure that you know what's going on. Also tonight, WNBA playoffs continue. And, look, I- I'm not even going to lie to you guys. Technology is amazing. Uh, you guys know I work a lot in the digital space. Uh, I am currently right now in the second hosting uh, WNBA Hoop Streams uh which is a uh, Tarika Foster did a great job with me. Uh we got to hang out and break down everything uh but they they were nice. They pre-taped it. So it it looks like it's live right now on ESPN and the uh, app and Twitter and YouTube and all of those different what? places. What? It's not live? Now, well, it usually is, but you know, they 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 made some modifications, Devin. They did that so that we can make sure that we still do Radio uh, radio Good Good, which we're going to do right now with Alexa Philippu. You can check her out, ESPN Women's uh, Basketball Reporter, on the dot .com. And, Alexa, we just talked like an hour ago, so we're about to be on digital platforms, and we're on radio right now. That in and of itself makes us cooler than everybody because we are officially in... Two places at once. So, uh, thanks for your time in Chicago. Uh, you mentioned when we were talking earlier. and For anyone that doesn't know, this is this battle tonight is going to be a great one between Connecticut and Chicago. What's the big adjustment you think needs to be made in this game?
2: Yeah, I was thinking on Chicago's part. They want to get their offense going because that was honestly non-existent in Game One. They were held to season-low scoring, sixty-three points. And never really found that rhythm that we know of Chicago's guy basketball to have. So I'm really curious to see, are they able to get the ball and people movement that gets their offense flowing as we are used to seeing it? And that is going to come down in large part, I think, to Courtney Vanderslit, who had such a quiet game on Sunday. I mean, she was really limited. It took her a while to get her first assist. And that's unheard of for someone like Courtney Vanderslit who uh, can easily kind uh, of assists a game, even in the playoffs. So I think it starts with her in a large part, and I'm looking to see how they are able to get her involved and active and going early.
1: So I'm trying to compartmentalize, you know, Candace Parker just went off. It was spectacular in that game, but they still lost, obviously. So is that one of those moments where you can say, look at this, if we surround her with more, it'll be even better? Or is that a moment, if you're Connecticut, where you say, we just survived that from Candace Parker and we're still fine?
2: I think a little bit from both. I think if you're Connecticut, uh, you're probably not going to see another game where, again, Courtney Danielson and quickly Quigley were held to 12 points and three assists on pretty inefficient shooting. You're just not going to see that sort of performance again. So I think it was a sort of game, too, when you're Connecticut and you're on the road. And I think most teams, when they approach a series like this, I'm just hoping they get A-1 on the road, ideally too. But, yeah, if you're Connecticut, you wanted to get that – game that was probably maybe the best shot you're going to get at least when it series in Chicago but Chicago on the other hand they know that they were it came down to the last possession or the last 30 seconds I would say where they had an opportunity to tie it they've had a pretty poor offensive game and we're still in it so there are signs of encouragement too that Chicago if they pick a few things can have much better success tonight
1: you mentioned sort of things uh, closing i guess is the best way to put it who can close in these instances and i was pretty stunned watching game one between seattle and vegas uh, obviously i wear my aces fandom on my sleeve but i was pretty stunned to see vegas sort of fall apart it felt like in the last several minutes among unforced errors essentially didn't play their best down the stretch how much pressure is there on this aces team given their past failures to break through this year
2: Yeah, if you talk with the Aces players, I think individually, a lot of them are very competitive. Kelsey Plum is one of the most competitive people probably in the WNBA. Asia Wilson still wants that title to really add to her stacked resume. And then collectively, like you mentioned, they have this history where they've gotten close and just haven't been able to break through. And they're able to have such tremendous success under a first-year head coach that it only encourages the fact that they want to be able to get across the finish line this year. But to have to go through as experienced a team at Seattle, as a, a team that needs or has a lot to play for, because Sue Bird wants to go out, you know, riding into the sunset. It's Tina Charles, too. People don't always talk about her enough, I think, in terms of she's motivated to win her first title. and She's given them a boost since coming from Phoenix. So it's a really tough opponent to have to go through to get to that finals, but. Yeah, I think they, they need to basically win this game to keep their hopes alive of getting to the final and then finishing the job from there.
1: Is there a level of boosted confidence if you're Seattle and you just survived what was a home court advantage? Like, I, I, I don't remember in the WNBA. Yeah. Is that, that crowd was slamming. It was absolutely insane. And Vegas still didn't win. Does that give Seattle a boost?
2: Oh, I think so. I think any road team that comes into a series like this and is able to get that win in game one. Because sometimes maybe you think, okay, you dropped game one, can we get a win in game two? But the fact that, and I would add the setting to this as well, you got that win out of the way, I think that definitely takes a little bit more of the pressure off in game two. But if you're also in Seattle, you want to finish the job. So you're not going to try and put your take your foot off the gas already. And you want to try and finish the job at home. So, if ideally, that means they get a, a win tonight. they get a win in Game 3 or Game 4, then they could do that. They're not going to want to send it to Vegas for a Game 5 that comes down to it, though. So, I would expect them to come out and try to stay very focused and maybe get another upset if they can handle it tonight.
1: We're talking to Alexa Philippus, Spain and Fitch, Jason Fitz flying solo. Uh, You've you mentioned Candice. You've mentioned Sue Bird. I mean, there's this moment where we are watching legends of the WNBA play at such a high-level Right now, what's been the key to that in your mind?
2: I think there's been a focus on longevity and what it takes to physically be able to play that long at such a high level. And I think Candace and Sue have gone about it in different ways, but they're both able to really come out and, like you said, play at such a high level, even though they're in their late 30s or in suitcase, um, early 40s. They, again, did it different ways. I think Sue has been very open about how she changed her life and training regimen and diet to be able to feel at her best physical self. And Candice, it's been a little bit different too, but also I think they're both such smart players and they both know the game so well that even though maybe they aren't, I, you know, physically where they were in their prime per se, they're able to just think the game in a way that is really impactful for their team, whether or not that's making a difference and facilitating and running the offense like Sue and knowing when hit clutch shots or like Candace where you're doing a little bit of everything like she was able to do in game one and have such an impactful game there. So it's really something I hope that WNBA fans are able to fully appreciate because they're not going to be here forever and they're still doing great things at this stage now too.
1: Alexa, I I keep thinking about the amount of championship pedigree there is on all four of these teams remaining, not just even at, at the W level, but even from the pedigrees of where they came from in college, right? Like these are all women, not all, but many of these women have won at the highest possible level. Does the, does that change the way any of them feel the pressure for this particular playoff in the WNBA?
2: Sort of changes the pressure i think they just know what it takes to win and they've been able to do that throughout their careers whether or not it was at the college level like candace and Sue were, or if it was in their pro careers as well because so they've also wanted the pro careers and they just know what it takes to do the little things and also put in just like that last you know grit and effort to come out with a win in these high pressure situations uh, i think it's interesting too is that they're now trying to show that to the younger generation. So how's Sue imparting that on her younger teammates? Or how's Candice imparting that on her younger teammates? Although they're the sky, you also know that what it takes to win because they won last year. <laughs> so they're just, they've just they been in those moments before, and they know how to perform. And they know that the line between winning and losing can be really thin in the WNBA because of all the talent. So I think that's where it probably makes the biggest difference. But it's really exciting to see because then you have these stacked careers like we've seen them compile
1: over the years. I mean, Alexa, you didn't have to remind me. This guy won it last year. Sarah does that all the time for me. Come on now. We appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, for, uh, thanks for hanging out with me. I know you're slammed tonight. We really appreciate the insight. And uh, enjoy the game and the games o- overall. No,
2: thanks for having me. should be
1: a really fun night. It is going to be a fun night. We appreciate that. Follow her on Twitter, at Alexa Philippou. Uh, I'll tell you guys, uh, I-, I think styles make fights in both of these games. And in my mind, uh, all day, every day, Connecticut and Chicago are both defensive-oriented teams that are going to come out and want to play sloppy basketball. Uh, I, I'm hammering the under on that one, I'm going to be honest. Uh, and then uh, Seattle and Vegas, I think Vegas is going to come out with the fire of the gods, shoot much better early in the game than they did last uh, last game, which means Seattle is going to have to play with a high pace to keep up with them scoring-wise. Hammering the over on that one. I, this, this is just about getting comfortable in a series, and both sides feeling good about it. So uh, that's where my leaning goes. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance, a triple threat of progression with, uh, of protection with home, auto, and more. Visit Progressive.com. All right. I've been on air for 43 minutes. It's been long enough. John Gruden spoke yesterday. What did it mean? What did I think? I'll give you all of my thoughts on it coming up. Spain and Fits on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
0: Spain and Fits the podcast.
1: Spain and Fits on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, SiriusXM Channel 80. Keeping it updated. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Keeping it updated on Serena right now. She is tied 3 3 in the first set. Uh, again, she is taking on the number two seed at this point. Uh, so uh, holding her own, obviously, uh, against Annette uh, Contave. And 3-3, three, three. as Myra Metcalf tweeted out a little bit ago, Serena's 40 years old and she's battling a 26-year-old who's ranked number two in the world. For those over 35, could you beat a 26-year-old in any athletic competition? If so, what? Stop lying. I think my answer to that is squarely none. No, uh, there there's nothing athletic I could uh, I could beat a 26-year-old in. Uh, I, I, I'm i willing to admit that without uh, any question, but that's also, like, I'm not Serena. Serena, Serena for a, a reason. So uh, certainly 3-3, three, three, he, uh, he hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, by the way. You can hit us up, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. That's the way that you can get in on the fun and hang out with us. Uh, not a lot of fun yesterday listening to John Gruden speak. And I'm sure you've heard a lot of it today across the ESPN. You knew it was going to happen eventually. And these moments are crafted, they're cultivated, they're considered. When you know, and I don't care what you've done, when you know you've gotten busted doing something you shouldn't do, you think about that apology. And you think about that apology for a long time. And when you step in front of a mic, even though it's an active case, so obviously he's not going to say much, you know that you're going to have to be careful in exactly what you say and exactly how you say it. Now, let's understand where he was as he was speaking. You know, you have to uh, you have to think a little bit about the fact that uh you know Gruden was speaking at a uh at, at a conference that he was invited to speak into. So, uh if he's going to speak there, it's the Little Rock Touchdown Club. He's fully aware of the questions that are being asked. I I got to be really transparent here. If John Gruden was coming to ESPN and giving me an interview, you can bet your bottom dollar that we would have to submit the questions in advance for Gruden. So he knew exactly what he was going to be asked. He knew exactly how he was going to be asked about it. And this is what he had to say about his words and where he is right now. I'm not
0: going to uh, uh, say anything but honest things here. I'm ashamed about uh, what has uh, come about in these emails and I'll make no uh, excuses for it is just it's it's shameful but uh, I am a good person I believe that I, I'm, I, I go to church I've been married for 31 years I got three great boys I still love football I've made some mistakes but I don't think anybody else in here hasn't uh, and I just ask for forgiveness and hopefully I get
1: another shot I, I struggle here i gonna be honest with you all like I've got a 20 jersey on my wall uh, when the Raiders moved to Vegas in 2020, I had hung out with some people on the team and done some helpful work on the on the side for them. And they asked me, what can we send you? Like, we want to send you something as a thanks. And I said, you know what, 2020, first season in Vegas, I'm going to get a jersey. So I have a jersey, a Raiders jersey, hung up in my office at home. It says number 20 on the back, and it says Vegas. And they said, let's get somebody to sign it for you, who you want to sign it thought about it and I was like, well, you know, I never really root for coach for players because they come and go to all sorts of different teams. I want John Gruden to sign it. John Gruden's a Raider legend. That won't go wrong. Every day I walk by that jersey and I see a 20 jersey, Vegas, John Gruden on it. And I think about this constantly. Somebody that, you know, so many of us spent a long time working for, didn't or, or rooting for, I should say, didn't uh he didn't make a mistake. Right, let's be very clear about that. He didn't slip up. He sent emails to a close friend. Those emails were revealed. And those emails said awful things. There's no way you can mistake that. Now, you can turn around and say, I was an idiot. And I've learned from being an idiot. I think we've all done that. I look back at my 20s, and certainly I was a regrettable human being. I'm not proud of who I was in my 20s. It took me a lot of therapy. It took me a lot of work to get out of that. It took me a lot of work to become a better human being. And I try to be that now. Some days I fail. I think we all do. But if you're John Gruden and you come out and you make an apology that you've had months to work on, and before you're even 10 seconds into it, you give me a butt, man, I'm not buying. And I understand that you're speaking for a group that uh, has obviously got some faith base. So you're turning around saying, I go to church. Cool. Uh, Bad people go to church, John. I've been married for 31 years. Frankly, John, so's my dad, and I just found out I have two half sisters thanks to twenty three and me. So, like, this concept of that true story, by the way. This concept that you've been married thirty one years and you have kids and that, that makes you a good dude? No, it doesn't. I mean, frankly, not to compare. We're not comparing here at all. Let me be clear about that. But if you've ever watched investigative ID late at night when you can't sleep, how many times have you read about some, watched a documentary about some weird killer dude that, you know, had a wife and kids and they never knew? So, like, you can go to church, you can be married, you can have kids, you can do all of those things. And it doesn't change the fact that what you said was absolutely not acceptable. And it revealed a part of you that you've got to explain. You've got to explain where your logic was coming from, and you've got to explain how you've changed that part of you. Notice that wasn't there. Again, here's the very beginning.
0: I'm not going to uh, uh, say anything but honest things here. I'm okay. ashamed about uh, what has uh, come about in these emails, right. and I'll make no uh,
1: excuses for it. Just- I'm ashamed. I'll make no excuses for it. I'm not going to be anything but honest. There is nowhere in there that he says, man, I've learned from it. There's nowhere in there that he says, God, I went and I talked to people and I figured out how my words are harmful and I figured out who I impacted. Nope, that's not there. Hell, there's not an even, uh, and I'm sorry. There's a, I hope I get another chance. But the two basic words that you, if you've ever been married in your life, you know the two basic words you got to say when your feet are to the fire, I'm sorry. And then just let it live. He didn't do that. He asked for another chance without explaining why he said what he said who he's talked to to learn about it, or how he's changed. Now, another part of this that I think has been glossed over by a lot of us reporting on it, including ESPN.com, the very end of it is he talked about that's why I love Saturdays. Now, he is talking in Arkansas to Arkansas football fans. But he says I love, that's why I love Saturdays, because football is just about what happens between the whistles. That's the rest of what he says, which to me is an indication that maybe John Gruden is trying to get back into coaching at the college level. But that's even more problematic, y'all. Like, I get that college football doesn't care about anything other than wins and losses, and you know how much I love it. You know how much I love covering the sport. But damn, you're going to let somebody sit in a, a, a living room and recruit people as a leader of young men? You're going to let, if you're an owner of an NFL team, you're going to let the face of your franchise have an opportunity without ever actually admitting what he did, without it ever actually just stepping up and saying, man, I said stupid things based in hate, and based in lack of understanding. And here are the actual steps I've gone through to fix that version of myself. Nah, John Gruden didn't say I'm sorry. John Gruden reminded you he goes to church. John Gruden didn't say I'm sorry. John Gruden reminded you that he's been married for 31 years. So was Vince McMahon. John Gruden didn't say I'm sorry. He told you about his kids. But as of right now, I know of at least one player in that locker room in Carl Nassib that's openly gay. That was under John Gruden at the time. That had to sit there and read all of these emails. Have we gotten any indication from coach or player that a single conversation has happened about understanding? No. John Gruden can say whatever he wants, but until he tells us what he's actually doing to change the the tone of who he was in those emails... He doesn't deserve another chance. Spain and Fitz, is it possible that Tyreek Hill will not be the leading receiver for the Dolphins this season? We got hot takes coming at you all over the place next, Spain and Fitz. Oh, we're not. Uh, we're, you said 10? Did you say 10? I thought Billy said 10. Oh, he said 30. i to peek behind the curtain. I thought I had to tease us into the break right there, and I don't. Now I have extra time. Tyreek Hill may not be the leading receiver for the Dolphins this season. But he might be. We'll give you hot takes next. I'm going to break all of Dan Graziano's spirit next. Spain and Fits. ESPN Radio, ESPN app.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.